I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. What's up? Welcome back to Barton and Bud. I'm Barton Simmons, along with Bud Elliott. And Bud, we've got the Pac-12 back. Uh, We talked a little bit about that on Sunday. We've got two massive playoff implication games. Uh, And this is going to be a show where we sort of, I don't know, we're not going to try to get too too broad here. We're going to, we're going to nail it down. Uh, this is, these are the games that matter this weekend. So we're going to spend some time, uh, go a little long form on this deal and, uh, and break a couple down. Uh, how, how are you? Uh, congratulations on the Maction day of 2020. Uh, we get these guys in the mix tonight. Um, what's going on, man. I'm excited for Maction to return. Um, uh, you know, I, I went to bed pretty early. I didn't stay up watching the election. I really can't, uh, you know, you can control your controllables. And after you vote, you can just kind of let the chips fall as they may. Are, are, are you are you well rested or were you up late watching it? No, I was I was not up late watching. I watched it a little bit. I like to watch the election coverage a little bit because I think particularly and this isn't a this is not a partisan um, uh, comment, but. CNN, I think, does a really good job of tracking it and making it really interesting from a from a race standpoint. And I like to watch that to come up with ideas for how to best uh, have our signing day show and how to best sort of track recruiting rankings uh, on on national signing day. So I, I I'm looking at it from like a content production standpoint. Uh, the, the the other stuff is like. Who the hell knows? You know, we're all going to die a fiery death either way, it sounds like. So, uh, you know, best of luck. Dude, I, I, it's so weird you say that. I actually have in my kind of playbook for like recruiting coverage. Uh, recruiting coverage is election coverage, right? It's 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 firecracker. It runs hot and fast, and, and then it's over. We, we need to get – I don't know what the what the, the dude's name is there on CNN, but like the guy running the touch board there, oh, yeah. he, he's got that down. Like we, we need to get you for, for, the, uh, for the All-America Bowl – like we need to get you a touch screen and say, okay, if if this five star goes here to LSU and have the rankings updating, like, like with the electoral count in live action, like, like the class calculator, but give me an interactive touch screen for the class calculator as Barton drags players all over the country and, and puts them into these recruiting classes. That, Try to that's, do it. We 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 we've been on it, man. We've been uh, Meredith O'Brien. Shout out our office manager. We've been trying to get her to go buy us a big touch screen. But I think that those things are expensive. 
haven't quite gotten the budget for it yet. Maybe you can do some pushing on your in there, bud. But uh, that I agree. That would be that would be fantastic. I have to call Meredith later today, so I will. Uh, I'll I'll bring that up, and I'm pretty sure. I know you got a shout out be. the pod. Yeah. I will. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe she already listens. Maybe she'll know about the shout out before I even I give her a shout. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. So yeah, two big games this weekend. I'm down to start with 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 either first, whichever one you, you want to go to. They both have pretty big implications. One a little bit bigger, perhaps, because it's more of a knockout game, I I think. And the other, to me, has a little bit more more intrigue. Uh, I I'm kind of inclined to start to start in South Bend, man. Sure, let's do it. Kick us off. What? Um, where do you want to begin in the 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 pre match of the ACC championship? Okay, so implication wise, if if Clemson wins this, it's pretty much going to be guaranteed to go to the playoff, I, I would think, and, and unless somehow some really weird stuff happens. If Notre Dame wins it, it's just round one of round two, most likely, for the AC title game, uh, in which Clemson will have probably the best player in the country in Trevor Lawrence. Uh, everybody already knows that. If you're listening to the show, you already know that. So let's, let's go ahead and dig deeper. I, I wrote an article about two weeks ago, or maybe just a week ago now, Talking about how similar I think these teams are with without Trevor Lawrence in. I mean, think about this. Both have good offensive lines, but I think Notre Dame's is better. Uh, both have really good running backs. I think Clemson's is better. Both have struggled at the outside receiver position in large part due to injury and young guys not being able to step up. Justin Ross got injured in the offseason for Clemson. And guys like Frank Ladson and Frank Nagata or uh, and jo- uh, Joseph Nagata have not been able to to step up and really fill that role yet. On the other side, for Notre Dame, Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsey uh, have been unable to stay healthy. With Austin now out for the year and Lindsey out at least another week, if not two or three more. And so their guys on the outside don't really scare you. They both have really good pass catchers between the hash marks. Notre Dame's tight ends. Clemson with, with Amari Rogers and and their tight ends, and defensively, I think both these teams are pretty darn good, but maybe not in that like crazy elite category. At, at least how they're they're currently comprised. Clemson is dealing with a, a lot of injuries at, at the time of this recording. It's uh, about one twenty on the East Coast on Wednesday. We don't really know who's fully in or out for Clemson. Tyler Davis is kind of a question. James Scalzi is definitely out, I believe. Uh, so like they're missing some of their key guys. They're playing a lot of true freshmen up front. Notre Dame, I don't think has quite the D line they had last year, but up the middle, they're really good. And then you get to quarterback. I don't know. Like, do you think Ian book is better than, than DJ, uh, Uyunga lay lay? I, 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 I do not. Yeah. So like, there's so many matchups we can get into. And yet I feel like without Trevor, these are fairly similarly constructed teams. They, they do a lot, of, a lot of the same things. Notre Dame's a little bit less aggressive on defense. Clemson likes to bring the blitz a little bit more. Man, I think the key here, I, I do think that Clemson protected DJ last week a little bit in terms of not wanting to get him hit a whole bunch in the run game. Now, he did have that long run for them. I think this week they pull out all the stops and involve him in the run game a lot more. Don't ask him to drop back and, and, and make a ton of reads against a pretty damn good 
Notre Dame defense. Not that he can't do it, but he is a true freshman. We saw what happened last week to TJ Fenley, who is nowhere near as polished, obviously, as a passer as DJ is. I, I, I think that's where I really want to start is how does Clemson attack this Notre Dame defense? Because this Notre Dame defense with with Jeremiah owusu uh, karamoa and, and Kyle Hamilton, man, they're legit up the middle. Like if you draw up a defense and you say, okay, where are you going to put your best pieces to defend Clemson? I kind of want it to be safety and linebacker because those are the guys for Clemson who scare me the most, especially without Trevor. So it's a it's an interesting premise that you're presenting. Uh, the similarities that these two teams may sort of fall into without Trevor Lawrence at the quarterback position for Clemson, but but I think that brings up an interesting point and one that and not to distill it down to the quarterback, um, but that just the, that the, that presumes that you are downgrading Clemson significantly or at least considering it a very different team without Trevor Lawrence and with DJ instead is that is that accurate is that true how do you like what kind of a drop off do you see for this team with DJ in as opposed to Trevor like with, with Trevor I, I I think this team can play with anybody in the country Without Trevor, and granted, DJ, I think, is a really capable backup and talent-wise, I mean, he's off the charts. We, we've both seen him multiple times in person as a recruit, and, and he looked pretty damn good against Boston College in that opening game in, in some pressure-packed situations. But I think without without Trevor, I, I do think this Clemson team is merely just as good as as a lot of these other teams that are vying for playoff spots. Maybe you know Florida good, Georgia good, Notre Dame good, Texas A&M good. Without Trevor, I mean, he is the guy, I think, who really makes this this team go. And we've seen it. Quarterback can elevate a team, and it's, that's not to say I don't like a lot of the pieces on Clemson. I think they've got some really good corners. They have some super talented true freshmen playing defensive line. I, you know, obviously Etienne's really good, um, arguably the best running back in the country. But I do think Trevor opens opens up things for them in a way that, like, I'm not convinced that Clemson is that far superior to Notre Dame as a team uh, with without Trevor Lawrence. You know, like the the pieces that I think are are kind of similar at, at a lot of these a lot of these spots, especially when you factor in experience. Think about this. You know, you, you're gonna have you're gonna have this this and, and I'm kind of switching the other side of the ball here, but you're gonna have probably the best offensive line in the country outside of Alabama. I would say Notre Dame is, is probably right there, right? They're they're really damn good, blocking Brian Brzee and Miles Murphy. And if Tyler Davis doesn't play, uh, you know, like KJ Henry is is probably going to be starting for for Clemson. Like, who do you think wins that matchup? Do, do you think Notre Dame's offensive line has an advantage here? Because if so, that's probably the first time all year for Clemson that it does not have the talent advantage defensively along the line of scrimmage compared to the opposing offensive line. I do think that Notre Dame probably has a slight advantage there. I do think the Notre Dame's offensive line is you know as good as Clemson's defensive front is, I think Notre Dame I might give the edge to Notre Dame um, because a lot of those guys are really young for for Clemson. Um, but if if Notre Dame isn't able because here's what the 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 issues with this matchup for Notre Dame against Clemson are still remain like they're the same ones we identified 
week one of the season, like, you know, signing day last year, like we knew that the issues were, it was that they don't really have a dude at receiver. They don't really have a guy that is going to be threatening to what is a really good cornerback group for Clemson. Um, at least I don't think they do. I mean, maybe that's maybe Javon McKinley or Ben Skoranek or one of those guys can make some plays, but I, I don't think the Clemson's DBs are losing any sleep over those guys. So then does the advantage, which I do think there is a slight advantage um, at the, at the offensive line position, does the advantage then get diminished or negated because Brent Venables is able to just load the box send some exotic pressures, man up on the outside and, uh, you know, keep, keep Notre Dame sort of behind the sticks. I, I could very easily see that take place. So I think that's the tricky part here. I, I do think that, you know, DJ Uyangalale is obviously you want Trevor Lawrence, um, in, and, Trevor Lawrence is a better quarterback right now than DJ. I think DJ is as talented as Trevor. And just in terms of just the pure traits, I think DJ can make every throw Trevor can make. I think you can call any play with them that you can call with Trevor. I think the challenge here is going to be, look, all right, Clemson's got a game under their belt. DJ's got a game of film. Clark Lee at Notre Dame has a game to that he can analyze and watch what ways can he make DJ uncomfortable and what ways can he make him kind of see ghosts and, 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 and just mess with his, his reads because I like, I, I bet at Auburn last weekend, basically on a, on blind faith that TJ Finley would regress to the mean as a true freshman who had a good debut. And I don't think that DJ is going to have a, uh, TJ Finley game, I think his regression is 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 probably you know he's starting higher, he's going to regress higher, but I still think that like his basically perfect game he had last week isn't going to be duplicated here. So can can Notre Dame bait him into some bad decisions? Can they make him uh, uncomfortable? And and then what does that even look like? And and then so that gets me to like the my my. My other big point in this game, like I, I still remember 2018 when Notre Dame played Clemson. As I went up there for CBS and interviewed a bunch of coaches um, and and did like some pre, you know, preview stuff, in, interviewed Ian Book and things like that. And I remember just talking to some of the coaches just kind of off the record, and and they were they were talking like because Trevor Lawrence was rolling and they had the you know T Higgins and Justin Ross and um, you know the the offense was was unreal, but the guy, and this was at the time he was a sophomore or yeah, sophomore, the guy that they were most concerned about was ETN. And they were, you know, they were, you know, I think they tried to really like kind of spill everything to the sideline. They were worried about him gashing them and just getting North South and just, just getting away from them. And, and what made it such a difficult matchup is because you can, you can be worried about Travis ETN all you want back then. But if you, if you devote too many people to the box, if you play too much man, if you put your safeties on an island, then you, they're going to clip. Someone's going to catch you on a seam route. They're going to catch you on a on an outside fade. And Justin Ross and T Higgins and whoever their slot guy was that year, like 
those guys were those guys were trouble. And that's exactly what happened. And I was just looking up as you were talking, I was looking up the stats for last year's game, just the play by play. And ETN was first half. He was like eight yards, eight yards, three yards, one yard, negative three yards. And, and just sort of easing into this game. But is when it's in the second half where he's, you know, he ended up with like 107 yards on 14 carries, like eight yards a pop. And so I, I, I think once things got away from him on the outside, and there was in the past game is when ETN started to get loose. So I think the balance that Clemson is capable of having offensively is critical. And if DJ can allow them to have that balance, then they're, they're going to be in great shape. If Notre Dame's defense can make them play one handed, make them one dimensional, whether that be in the run game or in the past game, then I think Notre Dame's got a really good shot at winning that game because that also probably helps them control the pace a little bit more. So, um, I think there's a there's ways. I'm like thinking about the the um, all the election covers last year. What they keep saying there's there's, there's the, the path to the path to victory. There are multiple paths to victory for Clemson, but a, I think it all hinges around DJ and and can they make DJ pedestrian? Like can they make him a normal guy, or is DJ just come out there like he's a five star? And if he is, and that's gonna there's just there's just too many weapons to to defend. You know, and, and if, if you are going to roll with the true freshman, A, you want him to have the talent of, of DJ, who is, is, is just one of the, the best, most talented quarterback recruits we've ever seen. I mean, not the most, but like he's pretty much on par talent-wise with, with just about anybody I've ever seen come out of high school. You also want to have a lot of experience around him. Here are, are, are the years for Clemson starters. Third year, fourth year, graduate student. Second year, th- their right guard. Third year, third year, second year, they have – you know, obviously, DJ freshman, senior in, in, in ATN, senior Amari Rogers, senior Cornell Powell. So they have some guys like Powell doesn't really scare you. He's kind of one of these dependable program guys. And I do think that that Clemson offensively, going back to the receiver position, even like without Ross, I still like Clemson's receivers against Notre Dame's corners better than I like, you know, that like the, the other side. I, I, I think that the potential for Ladson or, or Nagata to, to break out and make a, a, a play, just a, a, an ability-based play is higher than, than it is with Notre Dame's guys. And that's not trying to knock you know, the, those dudes. But at the same time, I mean, Ben Skarnick and Avery Davis and, and Javon McKinley, they, they, don't, they don't really scare me. Now, I do think on the outside, Notre Dame's going to block extremely well because both those guys have size. And they get after it in in, in the run game. Clemson is going to have to be ready to defend that with with their corners as well, and, and make sure their corners are, you know, holding up in run support. Uh, but there's a lot of talent around DJ. There's no doubt. There's just there's not the proven home run hitter on the outside for for him to to go to. Kind of like when when Trevor Lawrence had T Higgins as, as a freshman. Justin Ross emerged later in that year, but you know ultimately it was. You know, it, it was Higgins that, that he was feeding the ball to over and over again uh, as a freshman, if I recall. I I think Venables is just so hard to bet against in these big games. It, his his game plan seemed to be just always really, really good. I, in saying that, I think he will try to put the ball and the game in the hands of Ian Book and say, okay, Ian Book, we've got a lot of film on you. We know you're probably going to go pro in something other than sports. Beat us if you can. I will say though, I I kind of like Venable's defenses better 
against some of these spread attacks because I think he dictates the game to them really well. I, if you think about some of the teams that have given Clemson trouble, you know, that, that, that pit team that ran on them, I mean, they weren't super spready. I, I, not that Clemson can't play in a box, but I, I do think Notre Dame's offense could have some success here against Clemson running the football. Kyron Williams is a guy that we loved early on in, in this year in the podcast. He still had a nice year, obviously, and, and is a really talented dude. Um, they're just going to have to find a way to create some explosive plays. Because when I look at the Clemson defense, I mean, they they don't allow consistent success. They're number third in the nation in success rate allowed on defense. Where you beat them is with big plays, specifically big plays in the passing game. They really don't get gashed very much on the ground for the for these home runs. Notre Dame, so Clemson, 72nd in the nation in passing explosiveness allowed. That's like the, or excuse me, yeah, Clemson. That's like the only really spot on the Clemson defensive profile that lights up in red. Notre Dame, when I click over to them, yeah, they're 62nd in passing explosiveness rate for their offense. So this is kind of weakness v. weakness, and we'll see who can improve upon their existing weakness here a little bit more. Because everything else on, on the screen for me, for the most part, man, is uh, is, is all green. These are two pretty, pretty good football teams. Let me ask you this. What do you think is, like, best-case scenario, um, you know, Notre Dame has a, a great game offensively, and um, things kind of fall into place and click for them. In that scenario, what is the what's the highest point total that you can see Notre Dame putting on the board? Probably, probably low thirties, and that would involve some some favorable field position, most likely from from playing a true freshman or or getting some kind of you know nice field position off a special teams thing. I, I you know, I I could see them scoring. 34 if, if everything clicks yeah that's kind of something i was thinking like 30 like to me 31 is just like your dream day like everything's works perfectly for notre dame and they control the game and it's played the way they want and the offense is clicking and ian book doesn't screw up and this uh, then I, I think the perfect scenario is 31 and so the way i like the way i'm thinking through it is like all right if that's like the perfect scenario then what's more reasonable? Okay, let's let's just call it, I don't know, 23 or something. Um, is that enough? Like, is that enough to win against Clemson, uh, who who is just a snap of a finger away from explosive plays? It's a tough, this would be a tough one to pull the trigger on. I I've 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 talked about it on the cover three pod. I think I've talked about it here with you as well. Like, I like the mentality that Notre Dame brings into this game. I like Brian Kelly's chip on the shoulder sort of approach. I like that he is not playing nice guy Brian Kelly. We're the proud Notre Dame franchise. He's playing like, hey, we're ass kickers. Like, stop talking about us like we're not ass kickers. And I think that his team will respond to that. But and so I I do I do sort of lean Notre Dame here, but then when I just really dig into it and think about it. I don't know. I just don't know like 24 points is going to be enough to beat Clemson. And I don't know if they can score more than 31-ish. I, I, I think it would depend on how many possessions you're going to have in this game. So Notre Dame averages about 10 possessions a game. Clemson averages about, you know, 13 to 14. If 24 points in a 14-possession game is not going to be Clemson. 24 points in a 10-possession game absolutely could be Clemson. You know, just because that that's... That's four fewer shots you have 
to, to go down and score. Um, I, I did play this, by the way, on I, I, I think the number you know, should be more field goal-ish, not, not five, five and a half. Um, what was the number you got on it? I want to get five and a half. So you played at Notre Dame plus five and a half? It actually spiked up initially uh, with, with, with some Clemson money coming in, and then bigger Notre Dame money came back over top of that. Um, my worry was that this was going to get down to, to a three, and I, I liked being on the, on the Notre Dame you know side in excess of three. I, I thought that was good value. My hunch is Especially that's where it'll trend. That, this just feels like the type of game that'll trend, trend to a smaller number than a bigger number. Yeah, like what is the chance that you actually see this thing trend up to where Clemson is laying a touchdown? You know, pretty pretty low. So I, I went ahead and fired on that on Sunday. Man, I, the trenches matchup, I and, and just the the ability for Notre Dame in protection. Clemson, the number one defense in the nation in havoc rate. Notre Dame, one of the absolute best in the country at at you know not allowing havoc rate. Like that's that's pretty wild. The other thing I, I noticed here is teams for the most part have not run on Clemson this year. Uh, you know that that much on early downs, and for the most part, Clemson has not faced very much man coverage. They've actually only faced man coverage on twenty seven percent of their snaps. Now I don't know why that is. Like, have they not played anybody yet that that feels comfortable manning them up? But I think if you're Notre Dame, you take your chances and, and you try to man these guys up, right? Like I, after I seeing that, I, I mean, I don't know, but it's a freshman quarterback. True, true. So maybe you make him read some zone stuff. Yeah, I don't, and I don't know that. Like the strength of Notre Dame's defense is not the cornerback position. I don't think. Right. So I don't know if you want to put those guys on an island. Um, but it's, um, yeah. I mean, I like I I would be more inclined to maybe that's why maybe there's a reason that no one's playing man with, but I I. I would be more inclined to think about this Notre Dame team as one that will sort of try to, you know, maybe do one of these three safety deals and move Kyle Hamilton around a little bit and um, just have some sort of trap coverages and, and robber type looks. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, I think that that's a bit of a gamble to, to play man a lot with the, with those corners. And look, if they had some, if they had Tyson Campbell and, Eric Stokes out there, then that's a different story. Um, but I, I would, hey, we'll see. I mean, I, I think Clemson's receivers haven't exactly given us reason to think that they're they're they should be feared. Um, so maybe maybe that is the play. I don't know. Yes, certainly not in terms of like, hey, they have they have a, an Ohio State type fear or you know a, an Alabama type type strike. Like th- those two teams to me are clearly a step above at, at the receiver position than anybody else in the nation that, that I've seen so far this year, yeah. unless I'm missing somebody. Uh, USC. I, I don't, yeah, okay, there you go. But we, Well, technically, I haven't seen them yet, Bart. It's true. But, it's true. Um, do you, are you, it sounds like, like just from what I'm hearing, it, it sounds like, like you are leaning Clemson. Gut is leaning Notre Dame. And, okay. and I, as I have talked through this with you, I'm leaning Clemson. This is the first time I've really like talked it out, you know. So I'm I'm starting to think maybe Clemson, but I I, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna play this game. I've just I haven't I haven't I haven't made my made my final answer yet though. I I'm looking at this just in my head. Maybe I'm missing something here. What what's the best offensive line 
that Clemson has played. And, and I, I, I'm going somewhere with this. So the Wake Forest. best offensive line they played would be Virginia. Virginia, more than likely. And Virginia was able to block them. You know, like they they had some time to throw those deep bombs, some of them. Yeah. And then, you know, not not that not that they didn't have any tackles for loss or anything like that, but just I'm I'm noticing here. Okay, Wake Forest offensive line is not good. Citadel, whatever. Miami's offensive line is probably still the weakness of the team. Georgia Tech's offensive line is definitely not good. Syracuse has the worst offensive line in the nation, or well, excuse me, in, in the ACC. I know that because. When I do null cast, I'm like, hey, they're not FSU's not dead last anymore. Uh, <laughs> and then you know, Boston College is not a bad O line, not a good but one. <clears throat> it's not great, you know, like it's not quite as good as it maybe it, it had been in previous years. And I do think that what Notre Dame has is a decent step up for, from that perspective. Has anybody run the ball on them on Clemson? Mm-hmm. Uh, let me pull up here. Not not real effective. I don't I don't believe. What did Virginia uh, did Virginia run the ball at all on them? I'm pulling that up real fast. Let's find Virginia here. I thought I remember Virginia hitting some like just absolute bombs. What 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 week was that game? Um, that was week. So UVA had 417 yards on 81 plays. Clemson had 466. So rushing, they they had 147. On 38 attempts, I'm assuming some of that includes sacks. Yeah, th- three for for a 12 yards loss. So back that out. So they had 159 yards rushing on 35 carries. Not super efficient, but they stuck with it, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know that's that's not horrendous for for UVA. Um, it's also not not being gashed, certainly. Um. All right. All right. I might get there. I mean, I think Notre Dame is is probably more I don't know. I don't know. I might get there. Let me think through it a little longer. But this is but there you have it. There's the talking points. Just whether or not it's whether or not you believe in DJ, whether or not you believe in Notre Dame's defense and their game plan, uh, which I think is I do have a lot of faith in. I, th- I think they're gonna have a really good game plan. It's just a matter of whether they don't just sort of can survive it and that get gashed. Um, but, uh, I, th- I think, I think we're in for a game. I'll put it that way. I do. I, I'm confident it'll be a close game. Final word for me. If, if Clemson, even if they didn't have Trevor, like I, I have a lot of faith in DJ, if they just had, you know, like if I was just confident they had Skalski, they had Mike Jones, they, they had Tyler Davis, you know, like those dudes in a front seven, then I would have no problem picking Clemson to win this thing fairly confidently, even with DJ. But I think, that's kind of being underplayed, at least as far as like the ESPN stuff I watch. Like, oh, no Trevor Lawrence. I'm like, yeah. Also, maybe no three or four starters in the front seven against the best offensive line they're going to face all year. Like, that's that's a fairly big deal. So we went uh, we went 30 minutes almost on Notre Dame clips, and that's that's what you get here. Sometimes we just go deep dive. This is, this is our show. We can do what we want. <laughs> um, I hope you all enjoy it. Make sure before this ad break, guys, grab your phone. Even during the ad break, give us those five stars. On Apple Podcasts, if you would. Uh, we actually don't have any new questions to talk about this week. So five stars on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Drop the question in there with your five-star review. Barton, after the ad break, we're going to go Florida, Georgia, or Georgia, Florida, depending on uh, where you're downloading this pod. We want to show equal respect to uh, both sides there. <laughs> 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, and we're back. You you ready for this, man? This is uh, maybe not quite the, the Clash of Titans that we thought it would be in the preseason, but still, like, Two really talented teams, two hated rivals, and and uh, it's for the most part, unless something absolutely insane goes goes down, this is the elimin- elimination game for the East and, uh, and and for the college football playoff. I think it is the clash of the Titans. I thought it would be maybe Georgia is just a a, a little bit less than I thought they'd be, and maybe Florida is just a little bit more than I thought they'd be. So I think it it evens out to be. Um, a pretty, pretty fun game. And I, I got to be honest with you. I was a little bit surprised to see the opening line here. Is it down to three and a half, maybe um, in the three, three and a half range, Georgia as the favorites. Sure seems like Florida is the team playing better as we approach this, this matchup. It, it does. And, and Florida has, has largely looked better over the last couple, you know, well, can't say last couple of weeks. They, they, they've had the COVID stuff. They had to shut down. They, they looked very good against Missouri. They got Kyrie Campbell back. I think two or three episodes ago, we discussed the loss of Kyrie Campbell for them and how that was basically kind of having like a Tetris-style effect where everybody had to shift down one position on that defense. The defense for the Gators looked better against Missouri. The offense looked, you know, looked pretty damn good. Not that Missouri's defense is good this year. It, it's taken a pretty good step back, but Florida's offense – Looked good. Kyle Trask is playing as well as, as any Gators quarterback since either that Will Greer, like kind of one year, or since Tebow, one of the two. Unless I'm missing somebody, but I don't, I don't think I am. And yet, I, I understand why Georgia's favored. I don't necessarily fully agree with it at this point. I'd like to know just who's out for them on defense for sure before I bet this. Uh, this is probably a game that I will look to play live. Once I see, you know, Thomas Goldcamp and, and and Jake Rowe tweeting out who's on the field in, in warmups, and so I have a better feel for who actually is in the lineup here. But but I understand why why Georgia's favored, right? They they lost to a superior Alabama team, but there are some sneaky things about Georgia that I kind of like in this thing, man. Like, okay, matchup wise. What side do you want to start on? Because I, I kind of have some notes on on both. You want to talk Florida offense, Georgia defense, or you want to talk, you know, Georgia offense, Florida defense. Uh, I, I think I'll, I'll I'll start here. I'll start here. So I, I to to me the reason that that Georgia is favored in this game is because of Texas A and M. 
because Florida's got an L on the year, and the L came when it gave up 41 points to a pro-style run-heavy offense at Texas A&M. And, and I, I, I do understand that. And I understand that in Bill Con- Connolly's performance index stuff, um, Florida's defensive success rate in stopping the run is 99th in the country. Um, they're like, they're, this is a, this is a team that's defensive strengths sort of align. Well, let's see 97th, I guess is what it is. They align well with what Georgia's offensive strengths are and what it wants to do. So it makes sense to me and I get it, but, but I do think that there's, there's a couple of things here, which is why I still like, I'm trying to acknowledge why George is the favorite, but I'm, but, but I'm, I'm sort of coming to terms with the idea that I still think Florida is probably in a better position here because with that said, when you go back to that Texas A&M game, like neither team could stop the other team. And so it certainly it helps that Georgia has a better defense than Texas A&M and they, they very clearly do. But even while Isaiah Spiller had 27 carries for 174 yards in that game, 6.4 yards a pop. Kellen Mond also had 338 yards passing with three touchdowns, no interceptions. Like he had a fantastic day throwing the football. So I do not see a scenario where Stetson Bennett has 35 attempts for 300 plus yards. Just don't see it. So there, there's like my one issue with just sort of extrapolating out Florida, not being able to beat Texas A&M. Um, and by the way, they basically scored every time they had the ball. So uh, it wasn't as if Texas A&M really stopped them. The other issue I have here is this is, is just sort of the way these games are, are being played these days, like the way the great teams win and lose. And that's a very broad and, and generalized sort of statement there, but like, yeah, uh, Georgia's, Georgia's cleaned up his schedule with the exception of Alabama. But, like, think about the teams they've played to this point and what they can do passing the football. Arkansas in week one, like, they've actually looked – this, this might be their best – the best passing attack that Georgia's played other than Alabama is Arkansas. And that's, that's a Felipe Franks team that, you know, Florida didn't want that guy. Uh, Auburn – Tennessee and Kentucky are the other three teams they played. Like none of those teams have a pass offense that really is, is, is worries anybody. Alabama has a pass offense that is off the charts and they put up 41. Um, Florida's pass game and competency on that side of it is much more akin to Alabama's than any of those other teams that George has played. So if Florida's going to get some points on the board, and I think they will, then is Georgia going to be able to score enough? And so that's th- those are my like big takeaways right now from a from like the the broad lens perspective. And and I and and so tell me I'm wrong. Like like point, educate me. Like help me figure out like what am I missing here to make me believe that maybe Georgia is is isn't getting uh, a fair shake out of me. 
All right. So I, I first of all, I, I agree with with almost all your points. Um, I just maybe have slight disagreements with a few of them in 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 term in terms of like style as opposed to effectiveness. So I agree in terms of of competency. Florida is by far the best passing game that Georgia has seen since since it played Alabama, or really just aside other than Alabama from out yeah. correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say that the the style of Florida's passing game, I, I think, is a lot different than what Alabama had. A- Alabama, for the most part, beat Georgia over the top. They they bombed them, and Florida doesn't really do that to, to teams this year. They are more of an underneath yards after the catch type offense. Uh, they 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 do a really good job of isolating matchups with tight end Kyle Pitts. I think they're extremely creative in the way that they use Kadarius Tony, who is one of the best you know, Swiss Army Army knife type guys in college football. Uh, but this is an area that I'm going to bring up here for Florida that we identified, I think, in the preseason. Like we were not super high on Justin Shorter's ability to make an instant impact for them on the outside. I think Justin Copeland's or uh, Jacob Copeland's a fine player, but he doesn't really scare Georgia's defense when you have Eric Stokes and and Tyson Campbell. And Trent Whitmore is a redshirt freshman who, again, ditto, is not going to scare them on the outside. It, does Trevon Grimes really scare Georgia? I kind of doubt it. You know, um, the two the two real weapons for this offense are Pitts and Tony, and those are guys that Florida finds ways to, to get good isolated matchups. They get in the ball in some space, and they let them run, or they ISO Pitts. And, and let him play, you know, basically ISO, ISO jump ball type stuff, and, and he wins consistently. And he's very athletic, and, and his body control is just off off the charts. I'm not saying that won't work against Georgia. What I am saying is that I don't think Florida's offense, from a style standpoint, is necessarily capable of replicating the Alabama game plan against Georgia, which was you know pass protected up front enough against the Georgia Blitz and beat him over the top. At its core, I think what Kirby Smart's defense is still is still this Nick Saban-style defense, which is going to challenge you to win one-on-one matchups on the outside. This could be particularly emphasized this week, in my opinion, because there's a good chance that they may not have either of their, their starting safeties in, in terms of Richard LeCount, who was in the what, dirt bike or motorcycle accident after the game on Saturday night, and then uh, Lewis Seen, who was also banged up. Now, we don't know if they're going to play. If they do... You know, good chance they're they're limited. I realize so, so, so Lewis seems banged up also. He's been banged up as well. Yeah, that's not, so that's not good. No, from a middle of the field standpoint against Pitts, that that's certainly not good. Although I would say that uh, that Georgia has easily the most athletic linebackers that uh, that Florida will ha- will have seen this year. Uh, but I think if you're Georgia, you clog the middle of the field against against this Florida offense. You don't let your safeties get matched up too much one-on-one with Pitts and those guys. And you try to do your best job you can to da- to tackle Kadarius Tony. And I think you played this game kind of how you played the Bama game in some ways and say, okay, beat us on the outside if you can. All right, Trevon Grimes beat me. Justin Shorter beat me. Jacob Copeland beat me. You know, uh, Trent Whitmore beat me. Because I don't think if you're Georgia, you're that scared about the Florida run game. And look, Florida may be capable of beating this Georgia defense, especially if this Georgia defense doesn't have guys like a Jordan Davis, like a Julian Rochester, and those dudes are banged up. And I mean, if they play at all, they're going to be limited. 
so they're having to use guys like Devontae Wyatt and Jalen Carter, who's you know a five-star freshman, at the defensive tackle spot. Like this Georgia defense, if it was full strength, there's no doubt in my mind I'm picking Georgia not giving second thought to this because I, I think they would shut this Florida offense down. But they're not full strength, and that, that's why I think this matchup is is that much more interesting here because I think Florida can have some success against Georgia's defense. Can they have 30 points of success? These big college football matchups recently, like you said, man, they suggest yes. They, they suggest that like points end up happening in these games. Uh, but I, I still think the Georgia defense is very formidable and – you know, we'll just we'll have to see how well Dan Mullen can scheme this up because he is absolutely one of the best best dudes in college football as far as creating the the favorable matchups for his playmakers. So, the Missouri game, I don't know how much we can really take from because Missouri didn't really seem like they just they, they didn't really show up. Uh, a and M beat them. South Carolina, you know, that was never really competitive, but they were they certainly were able to put up some points. Ole Miss. They've been scoring on everybody. We didn't realize how good that Ole Miss offense was that first week. So I'm curious what your confidence is. So we, we talk a lot about Georgia's defense against Florida's offense. Do you think that Georgia's offense is going to be capable of, of putting up a big number? Um, Ooh. I mean, that's because I think that's like, I think they, they're going to. As good as Georgia's defense is, I, I've got some confidence in Florida being able to just, I don't know, get it to 30-something. Um, maybe, that's, maybe that's too optimistic to think that way, to just assume that they can get to 30, 34 points, 31 points. I think they can do that. And so I'm just curious if, if they could, then can, can, Georgia, can Georgia keep pace? So I like this is clearly a clash of the Titans in, in, in terms of, of Florida's offense and Georgia's defense. I mean, in, in Connolly's rankings, this is the number one defense in the nation against the number four offense. You know, if you take into account Florida's in, or Georgia's injuries on defense, it's probably not the number one defense in the nation, but I don't think it's that far off. On the flip side, I mean, Georgia's offense 46th, Florida's defense 25th. So you, you know, that that actually Florida's defense ranks better than I think a lot of people pro- would probably think that it would there. They just got Kyrie Campbell back, as as we noted. But like you said earlier, the way that, that Florida's defense has given up yards, especially just not being assignment sound, getting pushed around a little bit up front, I will say that Georgia's run game has become better almost every week, right? Like like that is that is probably an undersold storyline as we focus on Stetson Bennett, who's not a good player, right? And like you, my mentions have also been strangely quiet about Stetson Bennett recently. I'm not getting the deliveries for the mailman must be held up somehow, man. I don't know where, where the mailman backers are on Twitter. And I'm not saying it's impossible for him to have a, a good game or a solid game because Georgia is doing a better job, I think, this year of trying to create matchups for him. And I'm sure their coaches are just really annoyed because it's like, God oh, damn it, like this kid plays like a walk on, you know, like he's not very good. But in the run game, man, Georgia is running the ball better. Their their offensive line, I think, in that area has gelled. They're pushing people around. They pushed Auburn around. They they didn't have a whole lot of rushing success against against Bama, and certainly not, you know, once it got late, they kind of abandoned it. Um, I mean, they they manhandled Tennessee up front, right? Like I, they have 
they pushed Kentucky around pretty decently in, in the run game, and they didn't finish in the red zone, um, and they didn't hit the, the explosive plays. But they, on a down to down basis, they were they were very consistent at not putting Bennett in tough spots, and they basically just didn't ask him to do anything. He threw the ball thirteen times, and two were picked. Like they have, they've really kind of improved quite a bit with the run game. So I do think style wise, I think Georgia could score, you know, in the low thirties against this Florida defense. But if it gets to be a shootout shootout, then I I, I think it is is Florida's game. I think that if if JT Daniels was healthy, if we we've got the announcement after this pod and it's Wednesday afternoon and we get an announcement saying JT Daniels has been practicing all week and he's healthy and he's starting and um he's our he's our QB one. I would just the threat of the vertical passing game would I think really alter my perspective on this game. Uh, it's the limitations of Stetson Bennett that give me some some pause uh, because I'm just sort of looking like there are, you know, Jermaine Burton has been has been flashing like uh, James Cook has shown us his ability to to be a uh, a factor in the pass game. The tight ends are starting to get involved. I mean, it's not like they don't have any other way of scoring other than just like burrowing into the offensive line and just sticking their head down and running it. Um, that's kind of how they've 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 operated because it feels like they're the, that's what the limitations have have necessitated. But um, I don't know. Maybe they've saved something in their in, in Todd Monk's playbook. You know, they 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 just survived the win against Kentucky, got out of there alive. All the bullets are still ready to fire for this Florida game. Um, I can certainly see a swing pass or, a, you know, a, some sort of a running back split out. I guess we saw that from James Cook a couple of weeks ago uh, against Alabama. Um, but just like a, a little bit of different ways to get playmakers the football. And, and, and I could absolutely see Georgia getting some explosive plays. I, I just, over the course of 60 minutes, I'm not sure I'm there with the the confidence that they can continue to get them, you know, drive after drive. We do have, we do have a an injury update on uh, George Pickens, by the way. Uh, Kirby Smart today quote: "It's an upper extremity injury. It's just going to be a pay, a pain tolerance deal, and we're hopeful he'll be able to play." On Jordan Davis, yeah, they're starting nose guard who has an elbow injury. We're trying to get him back, even if it's just a roll. Uh, so a little sound, more optimistic there on Pickens. Doesn't sound yes. optimistic on uh, on Davis though. No, it, it 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 does not. Um, you know, and that was in our our preseason preview. Like the one spot that George maybe did not have elite depth at was actually at, at that nose guard position. Uh, that's what Rusty Mansell told us over the summer. Uh, although Florida has their own five star defensive tackle that they're going to have to be relying on in this game at least for the first half. We should note in in uh, you know Javon Dexter because um, Zach Carter, their guy who probably is more naturally at strong side end, but. Uh, you know, is having to play inside at tackle quite a bit this year with, with with Kyrie Campbell being out. He is suspended for the first half of this game due to the the, the little brouhaha they had at midfield there against Missouri. Uh, for that reason, um, I, I do think it's important that, that Georgia jumps out to a lead in this game. I don't like Georgia's ability to come from behind here in this scenario. If all Florida's defense has to do, you know, is 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 play the pass. Uh, if Georgia gets a lead. I, I feel like Georgia is capable of salting away that lead and and uh, and, and salting away the game. But if they had to play from behind, I, that's that's not a great sign. Did have you played this game yet? No, I I, I haven't. Um, I I think the number is 
okay, but to me there are too many unknowns as far as the injuries. Like there's important guys on both sides here. Like Florida's defense last game was really thin. And I don't know, like Florida doesn't announce the injury stuff, so I don't know who's like a COVID kid or who is actually, you know, banged up. Uh, I, I'm going to be watching this, uh, and I'm going to be on, on Twitter following Thomas Goldcamp, following Jake Rowe, Dogs 24-7, Swamp 24-7, and seeing who's warming up for these guys, right? And, and seeing like who's actually going to be on the field. And then, you know, if if I see Pickens out there running around and it looks like he's he's a go, um, you know, if, if we see – you know, got guy like 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 sign out there. He's going to go if somehow the counts out there, which I kind of doubt. Then I might play Georgia um, if if it's still going to sit at three. But if they're not out, I I think you have to take a look at Florida. I I like Florida here, but I am a little scared to play it. I think my favorite play might be the total. I'm I'm sort of thinking there might be some points scored, but. We'll see. We'll see what I'm. We'll see what I'm feeling on Saturday morning. What is the uh, the, the total here currently? I'm seeing a 52 and a half. My only real caution on that would be, and I I think as far as like an efficiency standpoint, I agree. I think both these offenses could over could overperform, but Florida only has 11 11 drives per game, and Georgia, uh, you know, Georgia also has 11 drives per game. So neither of these teams are really pushing pace that hard this year. Like I, in my mind, I think of Florida as a team that's pushing pace, but you know they're just scoring on most of their drives, and they're probably yeah. not going to score on most of their drives against Georgia. I mean, Florida plays per game only sixty three and a half plays a game. That's yeah. like one of the worst numbers in the nation. That's I'm not saying that's bad, but like if you're playing the over, no, does you push might tempo be, here. I mean, they might want to, but I don't. Yeah, you know, I don't know if they're going to try to get out of what's in their DNA. Um. Yeah, if I had a bunch of inexperienced Georgia, guys on Georgia's defense, Georgia, I might push tempo. Georgia actually has more plays per game than than, than uh, Florida does. Yeah, which could be a result of Georgia's defense getting their ball back to their offense quickly, mm-hmm. as opposed to Florida's, which you know has had a couple games where they just give up long, sustained drives. Um, yeah, but um, adjusted pace. So Florida is ninety second in the country. And adjusted pace. So, adjusted pace, just for, for those who don't know, is the uh, the difference between a team's tempo, which is their seconds per play, and the tempo expected based on their run pass rate. That's a that's a Bill Connolly stat he, he created a couple years ago. So yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. I mean, basically Florida in any hurry. They're just scoring a lot of points because they're so so damn efficient and like they get the most out of every possession. Um, this is not a this is not a points by volume situation. This is a this is a bang for your buck deal, and I don't know how much bang for your buck you get against Georgia's defense. So, I don't know. I may you may just talk me out of it. Now I don't know what I'm gonna play. We'll see. We will see, man. This is uh, anything else you you, you want to add here? I know we have the recruiting rankings meeting in about uh, about an hour and a half, and God, we we man, we did almost an hour on two games. Hey, That's- the two big two big games. Um. No, I mean, we'll see what happens in the Pac-12 this weekend. Anxious to see that USC-Arizona State game. Um, anxious to see what Oregon looks like against a Stanford team that needs needs a good year this year. Um, we'll see if there's any contenders out there. And then we got Friday night BYU-Boise. See if we got a playoff contender out of the G5 ranks. 
if not them. I, I did play BYU there. You did? All but right. they, they opened as an underdog. And I was like, uh, give me all those points. Yeah. 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 Uh, Miami, NC State, by the way, not a terrible Friday night game to flip to during commercial breaks. No, yeah. not not at all. Um, and tonight, Michigan, Indiana, by the way, little anxiety bowl there for for Harbaugh. For sure. Tonight we got Mac, Buffalo, Northern Illinois. Keep an eye on that one. Buffalo is my team. Toledo, Bowling Green. I think a little revenge is on the mind for for the Rockets after losing to Bowling Green last year. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I gotta. I gotta tell the wife. You take care of the kids. I gotta settle in. Got a lot of Mac to watch tonight. You, you think that's going to go very well with the uh, with the Wednesday night, babe? I got to watch football request. Uh, I'll just she she doesn't really know the difference between good ball and bad ball. I'll just tell her this: these are like really critical games, and uh, oh, it's part of the gig. I I think Maggie Maggie kind of knows. I like she'd be like, babe, really? You're you're, you're watching this? I'm like, yeah, we're we're, uh, we're doing a special story on this. <laughs> One thing I'm interested in the Mac, by the way. Do you remember uh, Armani Rogers, the, the the quarterback for UNLV? Yeah, where's he at now? He tra- he transferred to Ohio. Like oh, that's he, a good. Spot I don't know for if him. he's starting, but like, yeah, that guy physically mm-hmm. as a beast. If, if he's running that Ohio triple option, I'm I'm really interested in watching that. Tonight. I knew he transferred somewhere. I'd forgot. I'd lost track where it was. It, it, that that's a that's a great landing spot for him. Yeah. It, it oh it says or so Curtis Rourke or Armani Rogers. I don't know anything about Curtis Rourke, but if, if he's legitimately an or. With Rodgers, I mean, maybe Rodgers doesn't know the offense yet. Who knows? But um, looks like he's eligible. He's listed on the depth chart. So that's six, five, two and a quarter. Let, let's go. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be fun tonight. Settle yeah. in, grab a drink. So the, 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 the or is, is Curtis Rourke or Nathan Rourke? Uh, Curtis Rourke. So Because their quarterback has been Nathan Rourke. So I wonder if, I guess that's little bro. I don't know. This kid's from uh, um, Ontario. Uh, He's a redshirt freshman, so yeah, must be. That's that's his brother. I gotta gotta imagine. All right, huh. is uh, is is the vodka and oat milk? Is, is, is that a is that a, a drink that you can have even when when the weather changes, or is that just that's a year round? Vodka oat milk is is perfectly made, um, balanced, uh, precisely for a Mac viewing. So uh, that'll be my drink of choice tonight. Nice. There you go, man. All right, guys. Five stars on iTunes. Really appreciate it. And uh, tell your friends about the show. We're, we're growing well, and we want to you know, be the top podcast out there for, for your viewing pleasure and your listening pleasure. And we'll uh, see you all next time. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.